everyone, and welcome to the uh, second installment of this week's Lineout Weekly Wrap-Up. Uh, as promised, having covered the uh, Women's World Cup in the first episode, we now turn our attention to um, the first proper round of the Autumn uh, Internationals or Autumn Nations series, um, which took place with, uh, obviously, the Northern Hemisphere teams hosting those from the Southern Hemisphere. We had some great games. I'm not going to cover all of them. I simply don't have time. Um, but yeah, we'll wrap up uh, those played by the Six Nations competitors um, and a quick look forward to this weekend's action. So yeah, there were some uh, great games across the board. Certainly, I think the highlights uh, in terms of interest um, and perhaps surprises Um Obviously, Ireland, South Africa was was a big draw card, uh, number one and number three in the world, um, and those two playing each other in the pool stages of next year's World Cup. So lots of interest there to see how that panned out, and that was quite the test match, quite the arm wrestle. Um, but also, I think, a real surprise performance uh, and quality performance um, from Australia and Paris against France. Um, I think most people... Rid- you know, thought that that France were going to be comfortable winners. Australia almost uh, almost pulled that off. Um, epic performance from the Wallabies. I think they can feel pretty tough with that uh, ahead of their game uh, this weekend against Italy. Um, and then the other, obviously, the big surprise on Sunday, Argentina getting uh, one past England at Twickenham. I don't think most people saw that coming either. Um so, yeah, lots to talk about. Uh, weekend kicked off with Scotland-Fiji. Scotland winning 28-12. Uh, interesting things about that game. Halftime, the score is 12-all. I think the the big thing that we can draw from that game is, you know, you can look at the progress of Fiji in the last 10 years. I mean, obviously, they're coached by Vern Cotter, who I think is one of the best in the business. Um, a lot of people still think... Uh, that Scotland's fortunes might be quite dramatically different if he was still coaching Scotland. But anyway, that aside, uh, I say huge fan of of, of the Cotter, uh, top-notch uh, international coach. And he's really done some great stuff with Fiji. You know, Fiji always in the past tended to be this very dramatic, very exciting running team. Um, but now they've got the physicality to back that, that attacking game up. Um, and you saw that in the game against Scotland. You know, they were certainly in the first half, very competitive physically in, in the set pieces and so forth, um, and at ruck time and, and so forth. So, and winning a lot of important collisions. So, you know, good on Fiji. Um, lots of food for thought uh, for the Irish this weekend who will uh, host them in Dublin. Scotland, I thought, you know, I think if you were a Scottish supporter, that would have been a really frustrating game to watch. Um, Scotland are just not, as we saw, you know, in the game against Australia the weekend before, they're just not gelling somehow. And this weekend, you know, they they had all their their big names back as it was the first official window uh, weekend of the, the November test window. Obviously, the, the ongoing debate around the omission of Finn Russell at fly half continues, although having said that, apparently the announcement was made that this week that he will be available to the squad. Now, whether or not he's going to play in the big one against New Zealand, on Sunday remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, although I think the Blair Kinghorn, Adam Hastings experiment is working well, I think for a big game like New Zealand, 
Russell needs to be somewhere in the mix, maybe not starting, but on the bench, we shall see. But yeah, you know, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Scotland outscoring uh, Fiji four tries to two. Um, and yeah, Fiji having a bit of a torrid time uh, with the boot. Um, that aspect of their game really not working for them very well uh, on Sunday. Um, but, you know, certainly their running game very much, uh, very much alive and well, although uh, Scotland um, did kind of expose them defensively. 25 defenders beaten for Scotland, excuse me, compared to 10 for Fiji. But yeah, a pretty solid effort overall from, from the Fijians. And, you know, talking about that physicality, 89 rucks won for Fiji, 66 for Scotland. So, you know, it just goes to show that they were really, you know, they were really throwing their weight around. Um, tackle success rate, Fiji will really need to get that up against Ireland this weekend. They only managed 78%, whereas Scotland will feel pleased with that. 94% success rate for Scotland. <coughs> We've already talked about the goal kicking. Certainly, the teams evenly uh, evenly matched in terms of scrum success. Scotland, compared to uh, the kind of goat show their lineout was against Australia in the weekend before, be very happy to see that uh, they got that aspect to their game um, back on track. 100% success success record uh, in the game last weekend against Fiji there, so they'll feel pretty happy about that. Um, and then, uh, sorry, just. Got bumped off here. Um, yeah, so they'll feel happy with that. And uh, Fiji also not too bad, though, at line-out time, 81%. Um, and the scrums, you know, 82% for Scotland. Some work needed there if they're going to compete with New Zealand. Um, and 75% for Fiji. Uh, Disciplinary-wise, lots of errors from um, Fiji. And actually both sides, 11 penalties for uh, Scotland, but 18 for Fiji including three yellow cards, but also two for Scotland. Um, but yeah, overall, I think they can feel, uh, Fiji certainly can feel pretty happy with that performance. Scotland, not so much. I think, you know, the fact that, like I say, the score was 12 all half time. They got to be better than that against New Zealand this weekend. So we shall see. Next up, we had Italy Samoa. I didn't watch the game. I've just read reports of it. Uh, and caught a few snippets of highlights. Uh, 49-17, pretty handsome win for the Italians. Um, Samoa, no slouch either. Um, you know, they are Pacific Nations uh, champions. Um, you know, they, they've had a lot of troubles in the last two years, but I think hopefully for their sake, they're coming out of it. But um, yeah, you know, I think they will be disappointed. The fact that Italy just kind of ran riot with them. Um, even though, interestingly enough, territory uh, statistics, that was all in favor of Samoa, 53%, 47% for the Italians. But yeah, the Italians outscoring them six tries to three. Um, Samoa having a pretty torrid afternoon um, at goal kicking, a bit like Fiji. Uh, that needs some work ahead of their game with Georgia this weekend. Um so yeah, they'll they'll definitely but need to work on that. But certainly Italy, you know, running riot in terms of meters made, 410 to 287 for Samoa, uh, beating 28 defenders compared to Samoa's 18. So yeah, some pretty good looking statistics um, here for Italy ahead of uh, a tough game against Australia this weekend. 
Um, but yeah, uh, like I say, good good effort from the Italians. They'll feel pretty happy with that. Uh, defensively, Samoa looked pretty vulnerable. 28 tackles missed composed uh, compared to 18 for Italy. But still, Italy's uh, tackle success rate does need to improve, uh, especially up against Australia and South Africa. They only managed 79%. Uh, Samoa only 71%. Uh, much better day at the office for Italy in terms of goal-kicking success at 89%. Thank you, Paolo Gavisi. He really was on song and generally just had a really good game at fly half. Uh, Rucks, though, they were both pretty even Stevens, both in the high 90s. Uh, Italy's line-out struggled a bit, whereas Samoa was bang on 100%. So they'll feel pretty happy about that, as was their scrum rate, 100%. Uh, Italy, not too bad in the scrums, but could do with some work. Uh, and not too bad on the penalties. Uh, Italy gave away nine. Uh, Samoa gave away um, ten, with only one yellow card for Samoa. So not not too bad. But like I say, some really good performances. Federica Ruzza in the second row. Always think he's a he's a machine. Michele Lamaro in the back row. Stephen Varney apparently had a really good game at five half. Uh, we've already talked about Paolo Garbisi pulling the strings. And one Ignacio Brex in the centers. Very good game from him, apparently. Um, and I think he's definitely one to watch in Italy's run-up to the World Cup. Then we had Wales, New Zealand. Uh, Wales, even with, unlike last year when they played New Zealand, even with all their uh, top players available, the kind of crises that's going on in Welsh rugby at provincial level got reflected at a national level, just didn't fire. Uh, 55-23 for New Zealand. New Zealand looking very much back on song again uh, after a shaky start to uh, to their the first half of their season with that series loss to Ireland. Um, and then uh, th- that, those losses to uh, Argentina and uh, South Africa and also a bit of a scare the weekend, uh, last weekend in Japan. But definitely they seem to have got their mojo back. It was very much more like the New Zealand of old that we're used to seeing. <coughs> Excuse me. Wales, no. Uh, you know, there were some good performances in there from Wales. Um, you know, uh, Justin Tipperich, captaining the side, I thought he had a good game. Um, you know, Tommy Rafael looked good, but injury concerns around him now. Uh, Rio Dyer uh, made a really uh, good test debut, uh, scoring a try. But yeah, overall, Wales just didn't look like they clicked. Um, And it just, you know, the more the game wore on, the more their heads kind of went down and it was it was game over. Um, New Zealand, though, will feel pretty pleased with uh, particularly, I think, for them, Cody Taylor. Cody Taylor had a really good game. He's he's had a poor year so far. But that was very much the Cody Taylor form of old at Hooker. Um, the Barrett brothers, all three of them on song. Jordy Barrett, I think, has absolutely convinced um, the rest of the world and the New Zealand selectors that uh, he his place maybe is really is in the midfield. Uh, I thought he had a stellar game uh, at center, uh, and he's repeated that now, uh, you know, consistently. So yeah, maybe that's where we're going to see Barrett uh, from now until the World Cup. Jordy Barrett, that is. Um, Artie Savia, 
phenomenal game, I thought. But then, you know, I think that's just par for the course. I mean, right now, I think, hands down, he is New Zealand's best player. But, you know, I think with Artie Sevilla, I don't think I can ever say Artie Sevilla had a poor game. Uh, a remarkable, remarkable player. Um, yeah, one of the greats, already a legend. Uh, Aaron Smith, really on song, thought he had a really good game, back to some of his best at, at scrum half. You know, Richie Moanga, calm, cool, and competent at fly half. Uh, Barrett, Bowden Barrett, backing everything up at uh, fullback. I thought the only area that, that perhaps where New Zealand looked a little bit weak was out wide. Um, I thought both Severis and Caleb Clark, uh, particularly I think defensively, looked a little bit frail, and Reese gave away quite a few silly penalties. So we'll see how they bear up uh, this weekend against Scotland. But uh, yeah, certainly I think um, New Zealand can feel pretty pretty happy about that one. Um, again, interestingly enough, territory went the way of Wales, 54% to 46% for New Zealand. Just New Zealand a lot more effective and obviously outscoring Wales eight tries to two. Uh, Wales... Um, good goal kicking success uh, for them. You know, there was that late enforced change. Lee Halfpenny got removed from the halfback position. I was always kind of surprised to see him slotted into the starting 15 for that anyway, but uh, he got ruled out just before the game. And Reese Priestland got drafted in along with Gareth, then Gareth Anscombe moving to fullback. I think uh, in terms of goal kicking duties, that got covered quite well um, as a result. So uh, no real complaints in that department. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, New Zealand doing all the running, 396 meters to 249, beating 25 defenders compared to Wales 11. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of. The statistics don't paint a particularly pretty picture for for Wales. They had to make 210 tackles. They missed 25 of them. New Zealand only had to make 156 tackles, and they missed 11 of those. Tackle success rate, uh, 88% though for Wales, 93% for New Zealand. 100% goal-kicking record for Wales. They'll feel happy with that, uh, whereas New Zealand not so much, 78%. Uh, Wales definitely competitive at the Rucks, 95 to 99 percentage-wise. Um, the lineouts worked relatively well for Wales, 93%, 94% for New Zealand. Um, but their scrum did creak a bit, I thought. Um, and New Zealand had a 100% track record there. Uh, Penalty-wise, it was kind of even Stevens. No yellow cards, no red cards, and 10 penalties apiece. So both sides will want to have a look at that and tidy that up for um, the coming weekend, in which Wales will face uh, a pretty confident Argentinian side, and New Zealand travel up to Scotland to, to take on the Scots at Murrayfield. Next up, we had uh, one of the biggest billings of the weekend, Ireland and South Africa, uh, very much with a view to how they're as a dress rehearsal for their pool game in the World Cup next year. Uh, sides ranked one and three in the world. And it proved to be what everybody thought it would be. It was an epic arm wrestle. Hugely physical game. Uh, yeah, just some big hits going in, a couple of, you know, inevitable refereeing controversies. 
Uh, some people complained about uh, early on in the game, Mac Hansen tackling uh, Kurt Lee in the air. Um, some people say he should have got a yellow card. Uh, the argument, though, is that the assistant referee was standing right in front of them when it happened. So he saw the whole thing unfold. And although it's not pretty, um, Hansen does kind of get Aronson down and he lands on his feet. So, yeah, it's not pretty. Um, but technically, as a result of that, it's not a, it's not a cardable offense. It's a penalty only, which was which uh, was given. Um, and then to say South Africa chose to go back to a better pos- penalty position from an earlier penalty for a, a, a chance between the posts. So, yeah. Um, and then there was 10 minutes later, Mac Hansen kind of gets, I guess, I guess his comeuppance from the South Africans as he gets driven into the ground by Cheson Colby and uh, Peter Stefftois. And I've got to admit, watching that, I was wincing. Uh, I really thought at one point his neck was going to get broken. It looked really, really ugly. Um, yeah. Uh, Colby walks away with a yellow card. Some people feel it should have been a, a red card. Uh, the Irish, interesting enough, the Irish commentating team actually thought that a yellow was the right call. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I'm surprised that Dutois also didn't get uh, a card as well. But I guess my concern with it more was in an age where we're trying to get young kids involved in the game, parents watching that would have probably winced. Um, I know I did. Uh, and it doesn't make it too easy as an advertisement to get your kids involved. Cause I really was worried that Hanson was going to end up with a serious neck injury. Anyway, fortunately he didn't game moved on. And then the rest is history. I think on that note, I think the refereeing overall was, was pretty good. You know, in a game as physical and as intense as that, you're not going to catch everything. Uh, you will make mistakes. But I, I'm sorry, I actually like Nika Amashwelli, the the Georgian ref. I think he's doing a pretty decent job. So credit to him, I think, for the most part. As for the game itself, like I say, big, huge, bruising encounter, um, which everybody expected. Um, you know, South Africa certainly brought their physicality to the Aviva um, and made Ireland really have to work for that. But I thought in in their defense, Ireland held up pretty well under under the Bach onslaught. Um, a lot of the possession and, ter- well, the possession and territory statistics are all in favor of South Africa. Two tries apiece. Um, you know, there really was very little in this um, at all. And as everybody has said, probably the weakest link for South Africa was their goal kicking. But, you know, even there, I, I would give South Africa the benefit of the doubt and I wouldn't come down too hard on Damien Willemsa. You know, he has played at fly half. He had some good performances in the rugby championship. He may not be a goal kicker. I accept that. And I don't think Chesson Colby is at test level either. So in that sense, that experiment didn't work. But the point is... South Africa, you know, unlike, for example, Ireland, who rely solely on Johnny Sexton um, and don't really have any depth at, at 10, South Africa is at least trying to get that right before the World Cup. So, you know, I, I wouldn't come down too hard on Willemsa. You know, they're trying. and He's trying. Give him some credit. Um, I do agree with the argument that a lot of people are saying that it's now uh, time for the Stormers' money Lebok to have a go at the fly half jersey. 
um, for the box uh, with these two ga- the three games remaining. Um, yeah, I agree. That's probably the way forward. Hopefully, that's what we'll see. But you know, I really hope and I, that people don't come down too hard on Willemse. He's a good player, and I think he can adapt to a lot of the role at, at, at fly half. Maybe just the goal kicking is is not his bag. Um, yeah, and in terms of uh, tackles made, I think that's one area where South Africa defensively looked a little bit frail, especially out wide. 20 tackles missed for Ireland, but 28 for South Africa. They'll need to address that ahead of playing um, France this weekend. So, yeah, only a 78% uh, tackle success rate for uh, South Africa as opposed to 87% for, for Ireland. And I think that has been a consistent strong suit for Ireland, their defensive work. Uh, goal kicking, like I say, is pretty miserable from both sides. Even Sexton missed a few. Um, but yeah, 40% for South Africa, that really does hurt. Um, but the rest of it was pretty even. Um, you know, that you looked at everything else, and it's it's even Stevens for both both sides. Penalties-wise, uh, South Africa had a little bit, a uh, little bit less fortunate, uh, coming away with twelve penalties, Ireland ten, and one of those penalties for South Africa being the yellow card. Um, but otherwise, pretty good. I thought Dan Sheehan had a really good game for Ireland at hooker. Um, Tad Byrne was immense in the second row. Uh, Josh Van der Fleer, incredible, like that rolling mall try, and him managing to keep it in was just the stuff of legends. Um, Jameson Gibson Park, when he came on, really injected some energy into the, the uh, scrum half position. Thought Stuart McCloskey had a really good game at center. Really gutted to see him go off injured. Hugo Keenan at fullback, always looking good. Um, but yeah, South Africa, that solid front row. Uh, Ibn Etzebeth and Lou Diager immense in the second row. Really sorry to see Diager go off injured. Uh, Steph Dutois had a good game. Uh, yeah, essentially that South African back row looks solid. I thought Hendricks had a fairly good game um, at, at uh, scrum half. And then, yeah, wing-wise, I thought Bapimpi didn't really, or Aaron see as much of the ball as they would like. And I didn't think that that center pairing for South Africa really worked as I had feared prior to the game. Um, but yeah, I think overall, people, both both teams... Apart from South Africa's goal kicking problem, can can feel pretty good. Uh, both teams having uh, Ireland having perhaps a slightly easier go of it with Fiji this weekend, and uh, South Africa having to look forward to playing France in Marseille. Then next up we had um, France Australia, and as far as I'm concerned, that was one of the best games of the weekend. Uh, Australia kind of gutted for them losing to France by just one point, but that was certainly one of the best Australian performances I've seen this year. Uh, they can feel pretty happy with that. Um, you know, obviously slightly gutted at the loss. Um, but yeah, France, as they invariably tend to do when they needed it most, came out of the blocks. And that man, Damien Pinot, got them out of jail once again. Uh, but yeah, two tries apiece. Uh, France edging the statistics a little bit uh, in their favor. But again, very much uh, even Stevens. With the only glaring omission perhaps being Australia looking a little bit vulnerable out wide. Um, 28 defenders beaten by France, only 14 by Australia. Um, 
and I think you know we we've seen that as a consistent theme with Australia out wide. They they look a little bit vulnerable, um, and that French physicality, particularly in terms of securing turnovers, was there for all to see. Uh, Ten turnovers uh, for France, three for Australia. Sixteen offloads from the French, two for Australia. Um, but everything else was pretty much even. Stephen France having a little bit more of the edge at ruck time. Um, but yeah, tackles missed, 28 for Australia, 14 for France. So they're going to want to address that, um, ahead of, uh, ahead of their, uh, game this weekend against Italy. Um, but otherwise, yeah, like I say, a pretty, pretty good effort. Uh, good, uh, good day at the, the tee for Australia, 88% goal kick success rate, only 78% for France. Um, line out for Australia did look pretty shaky. That's one thing they'll want to address for this weekend, but their scrums look solid. Whereas the French scrum did not look solid. Uh, even Stevens on penalties, basically 10 for France, 11 for Australia, kind of sloppy discipline from both sides. And that kind of got in the way of an otherwise a very good game, but good performances, uh, particularly for the French, I uh, thought Olivon is back to his best. Uh, Aldrit, not so much, I thought. Uh, in the back row, Jonathan Dante looked promising at times, and obviously Damien Penault sealing the deal. But also uh, Thomas Ramos looking really good at fullback. For Australia, I thought Nick Frost, uh, performance of mention from him in the second row. Um, Rob Valentini looked fantastic, as he always does now in the back row. Good game from Bernard Foley at uh, fly half. Tom Wright looked really good, except defensively. Uh, the center pairing of Lalakai, Fuketi, and Lennox Tau, I really liked. I really think that fired. Some good moments from Callaway uh, and Jock Campbell at uh, fullback. So, yeah, Australia can feel pretty good about that game. Got it at the loss, but, you know, what a treat to watch. And then last up, we had the other big surprise of the weekend. Uh, Argentina pipping uh, England at uh, Twickenham by one point, thirty to twenty-nine. Uh, you know all the usual problems with Eng England: uh, poor selection decisions resulting in an unbalanced back row. Um, you know, I thought, yeah, essentially an unbalanced back row, picking the wrong scrum half. That nine ten axis not really working. Uh, I don't think there's any need for Owen Farrell to be babysitting Marcus Smith anymore. That 10-12 axis isn't working. Um, and the backs, you know, out wide, I thought they looked apart from Cognacega, uh, just not firing either. So it just poor selection decisions getting in the way of England yet again. But Argentina on song. You know, they, they've beaten the All Blacks this year. They've uh, beaten Australia. Um, you know, they've beaten Scotland. They're, they're looking pretty sharp um, and they're playing with confidence and they're building very nicely for the World Cup. So, yeah, I mean, England dominated a lot of the stats, but, you know, what uh, what Argentina did, they did well. Um, and I think it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, interesting, England made 427 metres compared to 157 for Argentina. Argentina just did more with it. Um, so yeah, defenders beaten, um, 17 for England, uh, six for Argentina. Um, 
England were passing the ball around much more, offloading it. Uh, turnovers one was equal, um, and rucks one. You know, 88 for England, 38 for Argentina. So this really is a game that England should have won. They just looked disjointed, slow, lacked pace, confused, didn't really seem to have a game plan, uh, which also seems to be a consistent theme with England. Um, you know, Argentina will be worried about missing 17 tackles compared to six for, for England. Um, but then, you know, Argentina was doing relatively less running of the ball, but, uh, yeah, overall, not bad. 90% success rate for England at the tackle, uh, 89% for Argentina. Uh, their goal kicking was on point. I will give England that, um, they kind of edged, Argentina a little bit at the rucks, 99% compared to Argentina's 97. Uh, both sides' lineouts worked impeccably, 100% record for both. But interestingly enough, the scrum is the one area where Argentina really bossed England around. 70% success rate for England, 100% for Argentina. Um, penalties, um, even for each, 10 penalties apiece, uh, no, no cards, you know, just sloppy discipline at times. Uh, I thought Alex Coles for England looked good in the second row. Uh, the back row didn't work. Maro Toji should not be in the back row. Uh, Billy V looked kind of slow. Um, ben Young's really slow. Like we've talked about the Smith barrel axis. Manu Tuolagi I thought was really quiet. Freddie Stewart had a really good game. I thought for Argentina, uh, Gajo and Montoya in the front row were phenomenal. Uh, Alamano Lavanini, big work effort from them. Gonzalez. Juan Martin Gonzalez, Marcus Kramer, and Pablo Matera. Huge effort for them in the back row. Santiago Carreras looked electric at fly half. Um, and Emilio Buffali, Emiliano Buffelli, that boot of his is going to punish you all day. So, yeah, some great games. Uh, Argentina take on Wales next. England take on Japan. Some excitement. We'll be talking to you soon. I'll probably have a quick look at what's coming up, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers for now.